Hi, welcome back to another episode of You the Mother podcast by Abby Williams, a space dedicated to supporting, empowering, and connecting all parents in all seasons of parenthood. You can find more supportive content over on Instagram and TikTok at You the Mother, and be sure to check out youthemother.com where you can reach out to work with me one-on-one or sign up for my group coaching. The estrangement project is going to Costa Rica in November. There will be a waterfall. There will be zip lining. There will be amazing adventures and there will be transformative workshops and a healing love bubble with myself and my co-founder Maggie Nick. Um, the link for that is in the description of this podcast. I hope that you join us if you are on the journey of estrangement. I just can't wait to be in person helping and supporting some of you on your healing journeys. So I hope to see you there. And in today's episode, I'm welcoming on Beth from the IEP lab. Beth is an occupational therapist who focuses on helping parents develop advocacy through knowledge of the system and determining their parent priorities. Beth is passionate about providing insider information of the school's process and culture to parents in order to increase collaboration between parents and school staff. Her company, the IEP Lab, provides online workshops and courses, as well as produces the Parent IEP Lab. In today's episode, Beth shares all about the IEP process, from knowing when to take steps to get an IEP, how to take those steps, questions to ask, normalizing feelings, and more. Beth has so many additional resources. You can find her over on Instagram and Facebook at the IEP Lab. You can also find her on her website, theieplab.com, where you can also find her free IEP process step-by-step guide. You can find her podcast, the Parent IEP Lab podcast, wherever you're listening to this podcast. And you can also find her signature course, the Ultimate Parent IEP Prep Course, on her website. All of those will be linked in the description of this podcast. I hope that you go give Beth a follow and check out all of her resources. And I hope that you enjoy today's episode. And if you do, please be sure to leave a five-star rating and review. Your support here on the podcast always means the world to me, and I so appreciate you being here. So let's get started in supporting you, the mother. Beth, welcome to you, the Mother Podcast. I am so excited that you are here joining us today because I've worked with a lot of families that have navigated IEPs, individualized education plans, and it is hard. And Mm -hmm. so I'm really excited to pick your brain and have this resource and connect people with you. Um, But first, tell me, listeners, a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on, Abby. I'm so excited to to just kind of chat about IEPs. I could talk about them for forever. Yeah. Um, so my name is Beth Liesenfeld. I'm an occupational therapist. And if, if people don't know what that is, we are therapists that help people kind of overcome barriers mm-hmm. um, typically caused by a disability to be able to participate in what they want to do and what they need to do. So um, kind of broad, kind of vague, but also kind of a cool life coach kind of therapist. Um, and so I had worked in kind of outpatient, and I'd worked as an adaptive horseback riding instructor for a long time. And so I had a lot of contact with parents. And then when I got into working with schools, I got into the system and I was like, what are all these terms? Why is everybody (laughs) calling each other friends? I don't understand. It's a totally different culture within the schools. And I just felt 
for parents in those meetings that mm-hmm. it was so overwhelming. Yeah. And I was like, are you really understanding what's happening? Because that first year I was like, what is happening in here? And I lost, right. a, I asked a lot of questions, but I was on staff. So like I had the opportunity to be in a lot of them and mm-hmm. ask a lot of questions. So um, eventually after a couple of years, I was like super frustrated with not being able to pull parents aside and be like, hey, here's the insider scoop on what this means, or this just got granted to somebody two hours ago because they asked this way. And so I started the Parent IEP Lab podcast, and this is kind of that bent of, let me kind of break it down for you so that you don't feel like you have to ask a question without any context. And so that's where I started the podcast. And then I have a couple courses too, to help parents kind of prepare for the IEP meetings as well. Yeah. Those IEP meetings can be intimidating. I've sat in on a lot of them. And I agree with you that I'm like, at the beginning, I was sitting there, like, I have no idea what the heck any of this is. And then Mm -hmm. I think that it is kind of like to an advantage that you get to sit in on so many of them. And like, that's kind of a privilege to be able to do that and like really learn the ins and outs. But for parents who are just navigating this, maybe for the first time, you know, with their child, that's, it's a lot. Um, It is a lot. So let's talk about, I guess, what is an IEP? How do Mm -hmm. we qualify for an IEP? Or when do we know our child needs an IEP? Oh, such a good question. Yeah. Okay. So like to start from the beginning, yeah. you're like, okay, my kid is struggling. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. what, yeah. what is there that I can do? Yeah. Um, and so there's a couple different formalized plans that you can get mm-hmm. in the educational system. You can get a 504, yep. which just means they have, you know, sometimes schools are like, oh, you have to have a diagnosis. You yeah. actually don't. Yeah. Um, but if your child is struggling in school and you think that they just need a change in how things are presented, or maybe they need to have seating that is right up front next mm-hmm. to the teacher, or maybe they need to move around a little bit more. Those are things called accommodations that we can just change the way that education is presented, or maybe they need a different um, environment to like take tests or something like that. That's what a 504 can provide. Um, And that's relatively simple Mm -hmm. to get. You just have to contact the 504 coordinator. Now, an IEP stands for Individualized Education Program. Sometimes it's called a plan too. Same thing. But this is when it becomes like really, really legal. And you have to go through this formalized process of an evaluation to see if they qualify for special education. Mm -hmm. And what you're doing is actually seeing if that child Um, qualifies as having a disability as defined by that state in one of 13 categories set out by federal law. And so this makes it a lot more formalized. And this is where the confusing wording comes from and all the acronyms come from because it's a legal system, right? Um, So this is for like, you know, if you really want an in-depth look and you're like, I think they have a disability or this is significant or Mm -hmm. we're really struggling, um, then you can formally request an a specialized education evaluation to see if they qualify. And, um, and so that is, is a more drawn out process, but it also results in this thing called the IEP and the IEP is a plan. It is a, Hey, where are we at right now? What are they struggling with? What are their strengths? And then it also makes goals Mm -hmm. and provides services. So as well as the accommodations. So both the 504 and the IEP have accommodations, which are the things that we 
kind of change to the environment or the way things are presented. Um, and then the IEP adds an additional layer of, oh, now we have goals. We're going to measure progress on those goals. We're going to make sure they have services so that they make progress on those goals. So it's a more formalized process. And you have a little bit more parent rights, too, as far as that goes, to make sure that everything is happening the way that it should be. Yeah, yeah. And so I guess, like, what are some of those categories where we're like, hey, my kid is oh, struggling sure. or, you know, because I know some are academic and some are behavioral. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. maybe we don't know that there are these two different things. I mean, there's 13 of them, but right. some of them, and I even have a special bonus series on my podcast that goes through each individual category and kind of the checklist to qualify. Um, but let's go over kind of like the three big ones. So there's the probably one of the biggest ones is that learning one, mm -hmm. and that is specific learning disability. Yeah. And you can have that in reading, or you can have that in math or in writing. Um, and so this is kind of a process to get started. But what you're saying is, hey, they actually have a disability. They don't actually say dyslexia. Yeah. Dyslexia is um, kind of like a subset of the specific learning disability category. So if you're like, I think my child has dyslexia, they might qualify in this specific learning disability category, but they won't necessarily say the word dyslexia. So yeah. that's kind of like a thing. <laughs> um, so that they go through a process with that. So they they want them to get interventions first for a couple of weeks. And it can be done at the same time that they're going through that evaluation to see like, are they going to make progress? Do they need like explicit instruction mm -hmm. in how to read in how like do we need to go back and kind of teach them some basic skills again do they need extra support so that's that's kind of a big one that we see for that and then um I would say the next one um that we see quite a bit is the acronym is OHI so it's other health impairment mm -hmm. and this one is kind of a catch-all yeah. so you you can have like an ADHD kind of diagnosis or pattern yeah and fall into OHI. And you can also have something like um, cerebral palsy yeah. and fall into this category as well. And so what they're looking at is there is some kind of like more medical thing happening mm -hmm. that decreases their ability to sustain attention yeah. or gives them fatigue during the day or something that kind of affects their ability to access their environment, like from a medical perspective. Mm -hmm. um, and so those, like sometimes you can be like, oh, that's more of like a behavioral thing. And it, it kind of is, but we want to like dig a little bit deeper into that behavior with like, well, why are they fatigued? Yeah. And that's why we're getting behaviors or like in the learning disability, are they just struggling so much? Right. And that's why we're be having behaviors. Like there's always another layer to that. Right. Um, and then I would say the third biggest one that we see all the time is the autism, autism spectrum disorder yeah. category. Yeah. And um, this one can get quite tricky. Some states, you know, consider all categories equally and this is a broken system. So we're like yep. being real. They all about are. How it happens. Yep. Um, but some states like Louisiana, I know they're like, oh no, we're not going to put them under the autism category unless they're like nonverbal and, yeah. you know, have all these sensory needs that go along with it. And so it's like, no, 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 like there's a spectrum here, but yeah. you know, it depends on your state and what's happening. But that one, there's, there's, um, specific checklists and you can access most of the checklists, I would say through the state website. Um, 
but Colorado is just like a great example that has all of their checklists online. Yeah. And so you can actually see what they're looking for. They're looking for like the, the social skills struggles. They're looking for that literal black and white thinking that might change the way that they need information presented, or they might need more coaching if they're doing a group project, like those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So those categories don't really matter once you get your foot in the door. Um, it really should just depend on what needs the kids have in that present levels of the IEP. But, you know, in some states, like if you have qualification underneath the autism label, sometimes you will get access to additional programs, which really isn't the way it's supposed to work, but it's re the reality of how it works too. Mm -hmm. So it's not supposed to really be a high influencer in what services you get, but sometimes depending on the programs that they have, it will kind of impact that. Yeah. I had no idea that these checklists are available on state websites. Yeah, it, yes. Yeah, and not that's every really cool. state has not every state has that entire checklist. Right. Colorado does. Right. Um so I use that as just like an example because right. they're all going to be relatively similar. That's kind of like a good resource like best. start with. Yeah. Of like yes. is my child struggling? And then you kind of yes. like refer to the checklist like, oh, they do yes. need a lot of these. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's cool. I had no idea. So make sure that you go check those out because that sounds <laughs> yes. amazing. Um, so I guess like if we get to a place where we're like, hey, my kid is struggling and maybe the school hasn't said anything about it, mm -hmm. but we're noticing things. And I think that that happens a lot where parents yeah. have to kind of step up and advocate. Um what are, I guess, like some first steps that parents can be making? How can we get the school to collaborate with us in this positive way? Mm, such a good question. Okay, so because it's a legal process, yeah. you want to try to do most things in writing, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, but you can have a chat with a general education teacher. And if you're in middle school, you know, if you have a certain connection with somebody or if they're really struggling in a certain area, go to that teacher. But yeah. elementary school, it's kind of easy because you just have one mm -hmm. most of the time. Um, so you can chat with that teacher, especially over like parent teacher conferences and just kind of get a gauge. And you can ask them, do you think that my child might need an IEP? Because they have other kids, they inevitably have other kids on 504s and IEPs right. in their classroom. If you feel like you have a good relationship and they're going to be honest with you, they'll probably give you an indication of if you if they support that or not, right? Yeah. But even if they don't, you can still submit a formal request. And so oftentimes this is done in a letter or an email is totally fine too. And you write that email to like the principal of the school and also the special education teacher. Yeah. Um, and you just put in there, I'm formally requesting testing for special education services. In And you kind of want to list, you don't have to, but you kind of do want to list like why you're asking. Mm -hmm. um, there was a couple of times where we got requests and it was just like, we want a comprehensive test. Oh, okay. Well, what why? does that for mean? What? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so it's like, well, do you want the OT in there? Like, what do you consider a comprehensive test? And like, what mm -hmm. are your actual concerns? So yeah. like- Make sure that you have an idea of, okay, they're they're really challenged right now in this way, this way, this way. And so many parents like think that they don't know. Mm -hmm. They're like, well, I can't see them in school. I can't see what's going on. But usually this has been going on for a while and teachers have said stuff to you like, oh, they really struggled with doing a group project or, you know, things like that. You can kind of sit down, try to have a minute of of quietness or clarity or however you think. Maybe it's when you're driving and just being like, 
okay, I think they're having like these three main challenges and this is what I'm most concerned about yeah. and kind of list those in your formalized request as well. It helps so much yeah. <laughs> for the team on the other side in deciding what testing they're doing, what they're including, kind of like that. Some states will even meet with you when they do that evaluation testing before they decide what they're doing mm-hmm. and say like, oh, okay, like we're planning to do this, like kind of tell us more about your concerns. And then some states don't require that. So it doesn't often happen. So mm-hmm. that letter is like your chance to justify your ask because they can't actually deny that request. Um, yeah. Even if you do it in a formalized way, they can still look at their data that they have and say, no, like we're not going to test right now, but you can be persistent and ask multiple times too. Yeah. I was just going to say like, what do we do if our requests are denied and we mm-hmm. believe strongly that like my child's falling mm-hmm. behind, they're really struggling. Maybe this is impacting self-esteem, self-worth, you know, and just the mm-hmm. whole spiral that can happen there. Yes. You just keep yes. asking. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Yes. Yes. You keep asking and you have a couple different options, actually. You can go ahead and and get a diagnosis or get outside testing if you want to. The problem with this is most of the time it's not going to be covered by insurance. Mm -hmm. It depends on what they're looking at. Um, And so I actually have, you know, a podcast that interviews somebody who does that outside testing mostly, um, most often it's done by a psychologist. Right. And so you know, they can kind of, if you're looking at autism, if you're looking at ADHD, a lot of that testing can be covered by insurance. Um, but it's something to ask when you call, but you can try to get some outside testing Mm -hmm. and you can bring that testing into the school and say, Hey, like they now have this diagnosis or, Hey, they went through this testing. These are the results. Um, and that has a ton of weight, but just kind of be aware that you might have to have something out of pocket for that. So questions to ask, right. Um, And then the other thing that I like to tell parents to do that I I don't think people realize enough is that you can kind of go up the ladder. And what I mean by that is, is if you get denied and it was just from the special education teacher and the school psychologist at the school, then you can kind of go up the ladder and say, okay, who's your special education coordinator? You can find all of that stuff on the website nowadays, which is amazing. And you can email them and Mm. you can even asked to meet with them to be like, these are my concerns. I really, really am concerned. Yeah. So many times those people, you know, the directors or the special education coordinators can come back and say, oh yeah, you know, this parent really has legit concerns. Like we really need to test. Yeah. And it's kind of like being that squeaky reel yeah. of asking and knowing who to go to, to, to get what you want. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> and advocating for your kids is important. Yes. You know, I think like so important. It's so hard because maybe you've got your own like people pleasing or I don't know, stuff of your own. Yes. And so it's yes. like, I don't want to be annoying. I don't want to bother people or I don't want to be mm-hmm. that parent, you know, mm-hmm. and like there's just so many things that maybe it feels uncomfortable to be that squeaky wheel. But like advocating yeah. for your kid is so, so important keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I and I kind of call that the Goldilocks approach mm-hmm. to advocacy, right? Yeah. So like p- parents who come in like way too passive, like the first district I worked in, um, that was just kind of the culture yeah. of, of the population that was there was that they were really passive and they were like, oh, the school knows best. And I that was my first year in schools. And I was like, you the should not be it. trusting me. <laughs> I I mean, I know how to treat your kid. Yeah. Like I'm an OT legit, but I don't know the IEP process. You shouldn't be trusting me yeah. with, like this. And then you have the opposite where parents come in like really emotional, really mm. heated. Yeah. 
they've probably been wronged by the system before, had bad experiences yeah. before, and they come in. But what happens is if you do that, you shut down all the creativity of the team. And instead of like recruiting and inspiring them to help your kid, instead you're kind of like limiting what they want to do with your kid because yeah. they're scared that they're going to get in trouble. Yeah by you yeah it's crazy yeah um so that middle of the road where you're like clearly explaining what your concerns are yeah. and what you want for them and vision statements are a great way to do that of just explaining like mm -hmm. i really want my kid to be able to do this in school is amazing and that's mm -hmm. that's the most effective approach that i've ever seen so. i think that that's a really good piece of advice is having like a vision statement of like what the goal is and just yes. centering on that Yes. Yeah. And when your kid is younger, it's, it's a little bit hard. You're like, my kid is a preschooler. Like, how am I supposed to think about the future? They're not even in school yet. But it can change um, and evolve. It can change. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It changes all the time. But you can also say, like, I just want them to, to like learning yeah. and to like being at school. And sometimes that is the best vision statement they have when they're younger. And then, of course, when they're older, it's like, okay, the clock is ticking. Like we only have so many years mm -hmm. left. Like mm -hmm. what skills do they need to be able to develop while we have all this support before yeah. it ends? Because I've also seen parents get to that 18 to 21 program even. And they're like, oh no, we're, we're done. Yeah. It's done. Yeah. They're aging out. Like, what do I do? And they haven't really thought ahead like that. So the vision statement is a great way to just kind of plan ahead in your mind and make sure that you're kind of staying one step ahead of the schools and your kid. Yeah, being so able important. To yeah. Um, Beth, once, I guess, you know, maybe we've gone through the gamut of advocating for our child. We need this IEP. It's really important. We've got the school on board. What does, I guess, that process look like? Or what are some tips that parents need to be aware of as they're going through the IEP process? Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say definitely find the confidence somewhere <laughs> to ask a lot of questions if yeah. you don't understand what's happening. Yeah. Um, I remember being in a preschool IEP and thankfully like this, um, this particular parent had a really great relationship with the teacher mm -hmm. and you could see that, that she was like confident enough in her relationship with the teacher that she was like, Oh wait, I don't understand what that means. And we're like, Oh yeah, you're right. Like you wouldn't know. <laughs> and so we slowed down for her just because she asked that question. Yeah. So, um, definitely find, find confidence, find resources so that you don't feel you're not like stupid you're, you're not yeah. stupid that you don't know these things no. it's not your field no. yeah no exactly yeah. exactly that um but kind of the process is that you go through the eligibility process and yeah. and once they determine that yes they have a disability as defined by the state they go ahead and qualify then it's like a whole nother meeting yeah. so then you're going to put the plan together yeah. and say okay like what do they actually need and so I'm just going to say it like the first IEP, especially if they're a really, really young kid, mm -hmm. that first IEP is going to be like a, a really good guess of what they need. Yeah. And it's going to get their foot in the door and it's going to get them started, but it might not be perfect and that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, then like in that first couple of years, it's really good to like, you know, be educating yourself, kind of listen, kind of, you know, draft that vision statement if you were too overwhelmed to do it at the start, which is so common. And so kind of like get your bearings of, oh, okay, like this is, this is the process, mm -hmm. but you know, you will have some parent input, but it feels very negative when you go through it because mm -hmm. it's kind of a deficit, deficit based model. Yeah. And we're kind of changing that a little bit as, you know, teams get more informed and really leveraging those strengths of your child mm -hmm. to be able to use those yeah. so that they kind of, you know, utilize uh, strategies that really help them in the things that 
they aren't so good at it. And that's what we all do naturally anyway. So just kind of be prepared for like, it is kind of negative, but you can bring in that positive. And just if you, oh my gosh, my biggest pet peeve is we would sit down to an IEP meeting and the teams like would be like really like wanting the parent to be involved. And the first question they would ask is, okay, let's go ahead and start. And let's start with their strengths. Parent, do you want to go first? What are your kids' strengths? And the parent would be like, oh my gosh, I just sat down. Like, what the heck is going on? I don't even know what you're talking about. And of course, we all know our kids' strengths. But when you're put on the spot like that, it drove me crazy. And I'd be like, okay. I don't know my child at all. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I hated that. Oh, I hated that awkward feeling. So I would always be like, what do they like to play with at home? Like, let's start there. And then it would get everybody talking and then we would be okay. But I was like, cringe moment. Like, don't do that. So be prepared to talk about your child's strengths. Yeah. And like I said before, like the challenges that you are seeing, Mm -hmm. like if there's stuff going on at home, if they're holding it together during the day and falling apart at home, be prepared to share that. Um, I think that that's really important to bring up. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then if, if homework is a struggle, like Mm -hmm. kind of tell them how are you are supporting them at home so that hopefully you guys can work together, um, to make that a little bit easier and build your skills, but also like, do we need to do this homework? Like, is it necessary? Like what, what can we do to just make it not easier, but like make it better for your child to actually Mm -hmm. learn something instead of just being stressed about school all the time. Right. Um, and then the last thing that I'll say about kind of you know, the system itself is what I also saw in parents being extremely effective Mm -hmm. was developing at least one good relationship with somebody on the IEP team. And if that's like the case manager, which normally is like the speech language pathologist or the, or the special education teacher, that's awesome. But if you click with the OT or click with the PT, that works wonders. Yeah. You feel like you have an ally when you sit at that table. You're like, okay, this person knows She's me, my buddy. And I know this yeah. person. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. Um, and they also tend to advocate for you and your kid behind the scenes. So like if something yeah. comes up or they're in a team meeting or, or something like that, I have seen um, a special education teachers, mm-hmm. you know, go toe to toe with the special education director mm-hmm. over a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you definitely want to like, even if that's a difficult person or, you know, kind of find somebody to have a good relationship with so that you can ask questions that might only be in your situation, right? Right. Like, oh, hey, like, what was this about? Or tell me more about this. Then you have somebody to go to. And that's really, really important. Yeah. um, Both for your support and for your kids' support too. Yeah. Those are all really great tips. Um, Once I guess like the IEP is established, and we have the IEP, we've gone through the meeting, I've got all the accommodations locked in. You have reoccurring IEP meetings. Are they yearly? Mm-hmm. They're, yep, yearly. they're yearly. Yeah. And how do we kind of like come back and maybe advocate again or say, hey, this was a really great plan, but we were just like shooting in the dark on this first one. How can we reevaluate mm-hmm. some things? You know, what are some tips that we can use moving forward with our IEP? I love that you asked this question because (laughs) I feel like parents have this stress of the IEP meeting. Like, I have one hour to get this plan for the next year right. And and if you look at your parent rights, which are also available on Google Mm -hmm. online Mm -hmm. um, for your state, 
you can see that you can actually alter the IEP in between IEP meetings. So yeah. you can ask for an amendment. Yeah. So if some if some accommodations you thought would work and they're really not, throw them out. Like get them out of there. <laughs> um, and like there's so many different ways and accommodations are limitless. Right. So like just throw them out and, and figure something else out. So you can ask for an amendment for things like that. And then you can also call an IEP meeting at any time in the year. Mm-hmm. And they have to have that IEP meeting typically within 30 days. Check your parent rights, but it's usually 30 days. And so if you really feel like we need some major changes or we need to talk about this, then yeah. call that IEP meeting and say, hey, we thought this was going to work, but let's kind of talk about if it's working or not or what we need to change. Yeah. And then if it's something like really minor, like accommodations that you want to throw out and you want to try a couple more, then that can be done without a meeting in an amendment. You know, you, t- you email about it or maybe you have a phone conversation about it. They send you something home to sign that just has the changes and then it's done. Yeah. Um, but that kind of takes the stress away a little bit from that IEP meeting. Yeah. Um, and then just check in in between. Go to parent-teacher conferences, you know, check in with the special education teacher, the speech-language pathologist, whoever is service providers during those. More often than not, during parent-teacher conferences, I would just be sitting in my office working on paperwork and no, no parent would really want to talk to me yeah. or like seek me out, right? So that's a great way to also like start that conversation of the relationship as well. So yeah, there's there's a couple things that you can do in between that meeting. And then when you come up to that meeting, mm-hmm. um, I actually have a freebie for this, yeah. which is um, the IEP process step-by-step guide. Yeah. And, and so this kind of breaks down like the 10 steps, like, okay, you know that it's coming up because it's coming up on a year. Yeah. Okay. They could, they should call you to schedule the meeting. Okay. What happens next? And so it kind of takes you through that process, but really that vision statement is really important Mm -hmm. to share before you come up to that meeting. And then again, going back to your list of challenges and making sure like, is everything being addressed that I have concerns about, or do I need to advocate for something else, some other piece to be Mm -hmm. included or anything to change to the plan? Um, And so I think it's really nice to have your brain kind of like set and you thinking about it proactively before you go into that meeting because you can be intimidated or forget what you were going to say or or be influenced by that draft IEP that they send to you and forget parts. And I I hate that. I hate forgetting things because I I do that all the time. (laughs) So really having those those two lists, like have some strengths, have like what's working, have what's not working, your challenge list um, going into that. And then and then just kind of see what changes need to be made from there. Yeah, that's perfect. And I'll definitely be linking that freebie in the description cool. of this podcast. Um, Beth, thank you so much for having this conversation. This was so informative. And I know that people might have additional questions. So tell my listeners where they can find you. Yeah, so I am on Instagram and Facebook at The IEP Lab, and that's what my website is as well, theieplab.com. And then the Parent IEP Lab podcast, you can find that right in your podcast player, or you can go to theieplab.com slash podcast and listen there too. Um, And you can search for episodes there as well. And then the last thing is just the freebie, and that's theieplab.com slash IEP is that freebie, and you can download it from there. Perfect. Beth, thank you again for joining us and helping us support you, the mother.